This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I'm your host, Lores, and today we have a very special guest, a, a YouTube titan nowadays. I remember you when you were at like 14,000 subscribers. Yeah, it was, it was fast. You uh, surpassed like a quarter of a million now, right? Yeah, I'm at uh, 350,000. Just past it. It's amazing. Uh, we have Justin Wang here. Just, I already asked you what's going on with you today, but why don't you just you know, play along? And Act like we haven't had this conversation two minutes ago. Uh, yeah, so I woke up woke up early. I'm all a bit of a late riser, but I, well, I say woke up early, meaning like 3 p.m. Uh, <laughs> um, did my Patreon stream that nobody... I have people who pay for the Patreon stream, which is like my top tier thing that I have on Patreon. I have a handful of people who pay for it, and none of them actually watch it. But I have to do it because they're paying for it in case they do want to watch it. So every month it winds up being like the most awkward piece of content I produce every single month because I'm like, I'm I'm doing a stream by myself trying to figure out things to talk about. Are you, do you interact with the people as you're doing the stream? So is it just like you and three other people? There's no one to interact with because they don't watch it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they pay for it. They don't watch it. But I do. I kind of I do that with things too. So I understand. Today though, I actually. The movie we're going to talk about today, I wound up, um, during this stream, I, f- I was going to uh, talk about the trailer to it, Riccio, and I noticed a thing pop up that it's copyrighted material, just to watch the trailer, which is weird to me because the entire movie is available to watch for free on YouTube. So what, what is the deal with the trailer? Because I didn't watch the trailer, I just hopped right into it. Here's what I did, here's my preparation for this episode. I read, I, and I didn't even read, I skimmed the Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. and I looked at Rotten Tomatoes, and I was like, oh, okay, it's at 89%. So this is like a, oh. a serious movie. This is a real movie. Oh, this isn't like a, this isn't schlocky. This is going to be like a real cool film. Okay, great. Yeah. And then I, I turned it on, and it was pure insanity. I'm uh, actually hearing that. I'm really surprised it has such a high score on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I don't really know the culture of ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. But I feel like a movie that, like, I guess I'm more used to, like, what people think on IMDb, and I can't imagine it has, like, above a three on IMDb. Um, Hmm. Let's put that to the test right now. Let's see. Riccio has... Yeah, it had 89%, so I I didn't even assume it was, like... User uh, reviews, I'm assuming. uh, No, 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 no. I think it was critical. Wow. 7.1. On IMDb, we have a 7.1 rating uh, of 11,000 votes. Damn. That's really surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's like... I, a lot of times I recommend it when people are looking for like a quote unquote bad movie to watch, but I unironically like shit like that. Like mm-hmm. I, I would take, I would pick watching Riccio any day over watching like Avengers Endgame or some shit like that. You know, when you initially suggested this movie, it's like, okay, it was made before the year 2005. Uh, it's Asian. It's got Kung Fu. This is going to be like an intentionally so bad. It's good kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But then I look at the ratings, and I didn't really read much else, so I'm like, okay, this is, no, it's actually a real movie, it's a serious movie, okay, cool. I go and I sit down, and within like the first five minutes, my notions of what to expect uh, dramatically altered. Uh, when people start like getting giant gaping holes in their body after yeah. seemingly normal punches, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, he's shouting dramatically in the rain. It's very like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is so... See, I and I don't agree necessarily with your, uh, your, your saying that this is a bad movie. I think it's a good movie disguised as a bad movie. Okay, Because there, there's so much... 
there's a lot of careful thought that I think was put into this movie to make it so animated. And this is, you know, you watch the movie and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a traditional film in many regards. It feels like an homage to cinema, but it it's more within like the, the design of a, either a video game or, or like a cartoon show, like a Saturday morning animated G.I. Joe or so, like well, something like a, that. It is a manga adaptation. Yeah, yeah. I, so I looked that up afterward and it made a little bit more sense. But there's so much of this movie that draws from other mediums in terms of its structure that... And see, the guy who made this movie had to be an expert at like one or two things, but maybe not filmmaking itself, because the special effects are are really pretty good for for practical level. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, let me get your thoughts. Why did you pick this movie? Um, I mean, to be like I said, like this is the the kind of movie that I like to watch. Like, mm-hmm. there's um, there was one other movie podcast I had done. And my suggestion for that one was Blood Feast, which is, if you don't know that, that's a, an H.G. Lewis horror movie who is kind of like the master of, like, really um, low-budget drive through horror movies back in the 60s and 70s. Okay. So, like, that's just kind of, that's kind of, like, where my brain goes to immediately in these kinds of situations. And I already done Blood Feast. If I hadn't done Blood Feast with someone else already, that probably would have been my suggestion, but the next movie is Ricky O. So what's the deal with Blood Feast? Blood Feast. All right. So the story of Blood Feast is um, there's this this guy who owns an Egyptian grocery store in what looks like Florida, but sounds like Boston because everyone in the movie <laughs> has a heavy Boston accent. Uh-huh. Um, that kind of reminds me of, have you ever seen uh, Andy Warhol's Blood for Dracula or Blood of Dracula? No. With Udo Kier? So uh, they shot that movie out in um, Germany, I believe. And everybody has like thick Brooklyn accents. Oh and my it's God. the most peculiar thing. I love that. Like It's one of my favorite like cult films, Andy Warhol's Dracula or Blood for Dracula. It, it, and he, he, you know, it has Dracula going around trying to suck the blood of virgins, but he he needs pure blood in this version, and uh, you know he keeps getting violently ill and throwing the blood back up because you know it, it, all the women are uh, are very loose out out in the uh, the countryside <laughs> of Germany, uh, and I, there's a line: "The blood of these whores is killing oh, me." Oh my god, says. I need to watch this. It's it's a beautiful film, but uh, Blood Feast. Oh yeah, Blood Feast. So the, you have this Egyptian grocery store. And in the back of the grocery store, he has this statue to his uh, evil god, Ishtar. And mm-hmm. he's, gra- one by one, killing various women throughout the neighborhood and taking their body parts to make the Egyptian blood feast ritual. And it culminates in there's this woman who she hires the, the Egyptian grocery store to cater her daughter's, uh, I forget if it was a graduation party or a birthday party. And then he gets caught trying to sacrifice her. And it just so happens that the detective who's been on the case is the girl's classmate. So he's going to the party and blows the whole case wide open. That's something I'm going to have to check out. When it comes to these kind of schlocky older films, I'll either love them or I will grow disinterested pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I I found myself, right when I was starting to get like kind of tired of the shtick, something crazy would happen with this movie and it would draw me back in and it, it, it's like a cyclical film where 
I, I compared it on Facebook earlier today to Scott Pilgrim, where it's just like you have, you know, you, you got to face the bosses, and it continually yeah. goes up the scale until he's fighting uh, the bad guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It definitely has that, like, that kind of, like, episodic video game-like structure to it. And there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. Do they even get into, like, why he has <laughs> the abilities that he has I, to just... I, I don't think they do. I think there's like a brief part where he's training a little bit, and it doesn't. Even then, it doesn't really get into why he's able to like punch holes through walls and like, you know, rip his tendons out and tie them back together so his arm works again. That's that was maybe one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Yeah. That, um, and, and also, you know, we wind up meeting the uh, you know the warden at the end of the film. He's like, I, I you know, I, I trained in the same martial arts as you, or something along those lines. But his entire skill set is completely different from Ricky's, and he turns into, like, a monster by the end of the movie. It makes no sense. I will say that there are some very interesting selections as far as, like, types of shots and, like, the editing of this movie that I was like, hmm, okay. So it's not an intentionally bad film. It is deliberately over the top. And certain editing choices, to me imply that there was a greater intellect to this, where it's not, like, Troll 2. Mm. It's not, you know, and that guy... The director who made Troll 2 is completely detached from reality. Have you ever seen, um, what's the name of the documentary? World's Greatest Movie or Best Worst Movie? Something yeah, like that. that was the one that was all about Troll 2, right? Yeah, that was that's a treat. There's not a whole lot of talk, from my knowledge anyway, about Riccio. Why do you think that is? Um, it, it could honestly just be because it's like, a, because it's a Chinese movie. So it kind of, on top of being like a schlocky movie, then it's also foreign and you got to read the subtitles and shit. So it's kind of like two layers of uh, things that make it kind of like difficult to penetrate for most people. As you said, uh, it does, um, it's not just like, just like throw away, hey, like let's make some like shitty movie thing. Like It's something that the filmmaking itself, it is like a higher level than like most of that era's cheesy movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I think, honestly, mo- for the most part of that era, a lot of um, the movies that we would look at now and say, hey, this is, like, a bad movie or you know, a so bad it's good movie, a lot, not a lot of those were made with that intention. It was just some kind of shortcoming right. that led to that. When it comes to movies like this, you know, really, if you just think back to that era in general, there's a lot of bad movies that really weren't bad movies that get dug up or have a change in critical reception later on. But we don't really have that nowadays. Um, And I think you were just getting at when there is like a bad movie uh, that's made as of late anyway, it seems intentionally bad. Like Birdemic or uh, yeah. Or was it Sharknado? Those movies that like everyone's in on the joke and it's just like, I don't, I don't have time for that. You know? Yeah. Like I don't, they're too self-aware and it kind of, uh, to me, it takes me out of it. Because I feel yeah. like the best bad movies are the ones where it's either they were they were either cheap or they were incompetent. To me, like those are the two best ways to get a bad movie, and it Absolutely. has to come from a genuine want to make with with all the intentions in the world to make it a good movie. What, for what it's worth, what do you think is the best bad movie one can watch? The best bad movie. Um, I am I'm very partial to the original Wizard of Gore. You know, I've never seen that. That I've, was I've, kind I've, of that was my that's another H. G. Lewis movie, the guy who made Blood Feast, and that was kind of my introduction to that whole world of uh 
of film, I guess. You're introducing me to a, a brand new subcategory of, of movies here that I haven't really taken the time to dive into. So, you know, I've heard that one brought up before, probably on like uh, Cinemassacre or, so, you know, one of those channels. Yeah, I feel uh, like I've never... they would have definitely spoken about that at some point. Yeah, I've never investigated it, though. But um, do you think it is just the self-awareness level of most filmmakers today or people working in the industry that has changed the general field of film where you don't have these uh, unintentionally bad movies coming up as often or uh, movies that are maybe like hidden gems? I think I think a big problem with it is that now we have a concept of so bad it's good as opposed to when these movies were coming out. I'm sure there were people who just kind of watched in the way you just watch a train wreck, but it wasn't... Uh, I feel like now that's treated like as this whole class of cinema, the so bad it's good movie. So there, there's just going to inevitably be more people who want to reverse engineer that. People who like genuinely love those kinds of movies... But uh, they're trying to make to force things that happened by accident. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's a thing that didn't used to happen. Do you think that the room is responsible for that? Do you think that was the tipping point? Maybe, it definitely had a big, big role in bringing that kind of movie to the mainstream and showing a lot of people that this kind of movie can be enjoyed. Because I don't think a lot of people have the uh, the taste for a movie that is unintentionally bad uh, without that. And obviously, you know, it's probably been the most publicized of all of these films, uh, you know, with James Franco going on to make The Disaster Artist and that getting all kinds of uh, nominations, though falling short at the Oscars. But uh, we got to get back to Riccio here. Did, were you aware that they made a sequel to this movie? No. Yeah, so apparently there was a sequel that had came out, and I... I could be wrong about this, but it was crowdfunded. No shit. Back back in two thousand six, seven, eight, nine. I don't know. Some sometime within like uh, the last decade, and I believe they couldn't get the rights to the character of Riccio because you know, as we uh, briefly got into before, there's a there's a manga. There's been um, you know anime based on this character, uh, but uh, they did a movie that was called Story of Ricky Two. And it has gotten zero, zero attention. Well, now I'm looking at this. Uh, I pulled it up. What's this Wu-Tang Collection? Story of Ricky O Part 2? Uh, yeah. Wait, there's it, a few things a... I'm seeing here. Because then there's a 90s one, Child of Destruction. You know, I don't know anything about that. I was just looking at the normal Wikipedia, and that's where the sequel came up. I definitely need to check this out. I have no idea what the quality of that might be like. We can only assume that it's uh, close to unwatchable. Uh, but who, who who knows? Who's to say? You know, I'm not a big fan of the, uh, like, 20, 30 years later sequel that tends to pop up for these, you know, kinds of properties. They did that with Blood Feast, too. It was actually... Yeah. Blood Feast 2, to me, it's kind of... Uh, if you contrast the first Blood Feast and Blood Feast 2, it kind of... To me, I mean, a lot of people thought Blood Feast 2 was incredible. I wasn't a fan. And I think by comparing those two movies, you can kind of see the difference between a guy... And it's directed by the same guy. The, his whole thing was he just wanted to make... He was a money-making guy. Like, he just wanted to get his his movies in the drive-thru as cheaply as possible, as quickly as possible. But then, over the decades, he kind of got this legend of being, like, the king of, uh, of drive-thru B-movie horror. 
and then Blood Feast 2 comes out in the 90s or even early 2000s, maybe. And it's very clearly him trying to uh, trying to do the things that he was known for as opposed to letting them just happen. Yeah. He was starting to lean into it, and that changed the formula there. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So uh, that, that kind of reminds me of... I, have you ever seen Repo Man? No. Uh, Alex Cox directed that, and he was this cool... You know, I, I, I have a theory about uh, iconic directors that they really only have, like, eight good years in them. And then they just kind of fall off, uh, probably for the same reason that you just mm-hmm. described with that director, uh, where they become too aware that maybe they buy into their legend a little yeah. too much. I've actually been like, thinking about that a lot. Yeah. Uh, have you uh, thought of any other directors that might fit that mold? Because the thought originally sprung up with Brian De Palma, because mm-hmm. I had just watched the documentary De Palma that Noah Baumbach put out a couple of years ago. And if you look at Brian De Palma's filmography in the 80s from like... Uh, I, I, I couldn't really give you a, a reference point of where it begins. Maybe like Blowout with Travolta up until, you know, the late 80s, before he got into like Mission Impossible and shit. Like there's a distinct uniform to his movies and they're all kind of similar. They mess around in similar ways. And then everything before that and after that is kind of shit. Not, re- not necessarily shit, but it just doesn't feel, it doesn't have that rhythm to it, you know? Yeah. Um, the first name... That comes to mind when I think about those kind of, that happening to a director, and I'm, I might get some shit for saying this, but I think it happened to George Romero, um, mm. because he our first three dead movies: Night of the Living Dead, Day, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Fuck, a lot of people didn't like Day of the Dead back in the day. I, that's my favorite. one. Yeah, I love that one, and I remember um, I had so many friends who hated that movie, and I got them to watch it again, and they liked it upon their second viewing. Um, but those first three to me, they were fantastic movies. And uh, the thing about them was that they always had like some degree of social commentary baked into them. But then I feel like people start to talk about that aspect of the movies more and more. And then by the time Land of the Dead comes out, you can tell that he's become very aware that people care about that in his movies. And I think throughout his later movies, his social commentary becomes a lot more ham-fisted. And it kind of, like, I still, I enjoyed Dawn of the, I mean, Land of the Dead, but I feel like that was kind of like the beginning of the decline. And that's interesting, too, because I, I think I recall reading, there was an anthology of short stories that was based off of Night of the Living Dead, because that's public domain, and people will use that for anything. There's so many different, like, movie series as well we could talk about that have spawned from that, but uh, there was an anthology of short stories, and they got George Romero to put his name on it as editor, and he was talking about his intentions when he was making Night of the Living Dead, I be- and I again, I could be mucking this up, but I believe he said he didn't really have, uh, like, a political idea in mind when it came to that first movie, even though he was casting, uh, what was his name, Dwayne, Dwayne... I was going to call him Dwayne Reed. Uh, no, uh, he didn't do anything else. Anyway, he didn't have like a set idea in mind to make that a political statement yeah. or what have I you. I think I remember um, hearing um, it might have been in one of like I in uh, I used to watch all the fucking uh, DVD extras and shit like that. And I feel like I heard him say something to the effect of that, like a lot of people think that he was cast to be the lead uh, lead good guy as um a social message because it would it was unusual to cast a black guy like in a role like that 
at sure. the time, but he just said like he cast him because he was the best guy for the role. It wasn't intended to be a message or anything. Yeah, and people projected that, and you know, obviously we have uh, more social commentary baked into each of the films. Uh, what, what did you think of Land of the Dead? Do you do you think that was really the big fall off point? Because a lot of people will cite uh, was it Diary of the Dead? Diary of the, the Dead uh, was awful. It was atrocious. Yeah. It was it was one of the worst uh, films that a competent director has made, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, and and I saw that in theaters when it came out. Boy, what a disappointment! Uh, Land of the Dead, though, is really a turning point as far as that yeah, goes. It's a, yeah, like, like I said, like it's I could tell it was like the beginning of him uh, kind of veering off in that direction, but I still enjoyed it. I, I don't know if I... You know, when I think about these movies, I don't really consider Land part of that. Not that it's not part of the series, but I still have those original three. So, like... Yeah. Kind of like the Star Wars trilogy, I guess, would be the, the equivalent for some people. But I don't think that Land of the Dead would be as good of a movie if there weren't talented actors involved. And I think you can see that with Diary of the Dead and then yeah. the movie that everyone forgets about. I don't even know the title of it. Uh, the, yeah. the third one that I remember that there, second trilogy. Yeah, I remember there being a third one, and I can't remember what it's called either. Yeah, I know it had something to do with, like, farmers and, you know, I don't know, they were out in the field. That's about it. Interesting, That's all I know about that. Interesting thing, too, like like thinking about how he kind of went off into a more social commentary, being more conscious about it. I think back to Dawn of the Dead. The interesting thing about Dawn of the Dead, like obviously it's like a critique, there's like a critique of consumerism in there with the mole and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. when it was made, moles weren't as common as they are. Right. Like the, the idea of a mole was a, a relatively new idea. And he just yeah. kind of saw that, I guess, the culture of the mall becoming what it did become before it actually got there. Do you do you have you uh, followed any of his movies outside of the Dead series? Because I'm I'm just looking up his filmography right now, and honestly, probably my favorite George Romero film isn't any of those. Have you ever seen Martin? Yes, I have seen Martin. I love that movie, yeah. Martin. It's kind of like that's the one, for those on, who have on the not, train, right? That's the one with the train. He, yeah. yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen Martin, it's kind of like the show Dexter. If uh, you know, it was like 1970, and Dexter was a 18 year old boy who thought he was a vampire. That movie's great. The Crazies is great. Um, you know, he didn't really make too many yeah. films. I don't think. Yeah, the only others that aren't of the Dead series that I can think of are Crazies and Martin. Creep Show. He did Creep Show. Oh, that one is also yeah. really I, I, good. I'm so annoyed because I like I mentioned in my last video. Um, which, uh, uh, as of the recording of this, it's the Silent Hill Circumcision video. Um, I made a reference to Creep Show, but I said it fast, so it sounds like I said Crip Show. And now my comment section is full of people going like, uh, uh, it's called Creep Show, not Crip Show. I got that over one of my Eyes Wide Shut videos. I mispronounced one word, and that made up about, uh, like, 300 comments. Yeah. Just people correcting me. Uh, I, I, I think when it comes to George Romero... Where he dropped off at is Monkey Shines, which is, I think, and I could be getting this wrong. I think it was about, like, a, a crippled dude who had a pet monkey that was, like, his caretaker or something. You know, I saw it when I was, like, four or five years I old. I remember that movie. USA. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember it being good. I, I just, I, I remember it coming out. I never watched it. I had no idea that was George Romero. Yeah, so that was 1988, and then you get into his 90s work, which is like the dark half with Timothy Hutton, the uh, adaptation 
of the Stephen King novel. That was pretty bad. And then he takes some time off uh, till 2000 where he does this movie Bruiser, which I've never heard of before. And then he gets into his second Dead trilogy. Yeah, so, I remember there being a big gap between uh, Day and Land. Mm. And that's like, I remember because of that, when Land was coming out, it was like a holy shit kind of moment. What do you think about the uh, the remakes? Because Tom Savini, he directed the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Like the, I'm talking about the authorized yeah. or, or studio authorized remakes because obviously there's so, so much out there. Um, that was the first one it, I actually saw, to be honest. The Tom yeah, Savini, me I, too. The first one in general. Yeah, like they uh, yeah. they used to um, here in New York, uh, they used to have this thing on uh, Channel 11 before it was a WB. It was every October they played nothing but horror movies. And one mm. of the ones they used to play all the time was the uh, the Night of the Living Dead remake. And that okay. shit was like, that's, even the censored TV version scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I remember I had uh, picked up this affinity for Dawn of the Dead, even though I hadn't seen it. I was so determined to find a VHS tape of Dawn of the Dead, which was... Uh, not easy to come by back in like 2000 or 99 like i remember i i was looking all over ebay for one and i I couldn't order one for whatever reason i was only a child um and the closest i could come was walmart was selling a vhs tape of the night of the living dead remake and so i bought that i checked it out and it was it's still you know i watched it recently it's it's pretty well done uh and i think george romero might have been the writer on that one uh, with Tom Savini directing. I think it's pretty underrated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what did you think of the remake of Dawn, uh, Dawn of the Dead? Um, Honestly, like, the original Dawn of the Dead, it's, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, mm. like I own, uh, yeah, down to the point where I have, like, the, the set with, like, the different cuts of the movie and shit like that. So I was expecting to hate the remake when it came out. And, honestly, I fucking loved it. It was, uh... A lot of people gave it shit for being a being a fast zombie dead movie mm-hmm. but it, it, the way they did it to me it worked that was Zack Snyder yeah. right yeah that was Zack Snyder's I believe his first movie that he ever uh released yeah yeah there's a lot of Zack Snyder sycophants out there I think some it, of them it's so to weird show. I just I, be, I became aware of it because I think I think it was Izzy Nobre who he had somehow he has a, a talent for unearthing these weird cults, and w- one day he was just getting into it. He made an offhand comment about some DC movie, and the the Snyder Cut people were all in his mentions. Oh, the Snyder Cut people! Yeah, those they're like the Snyder Cut people are the circumcision people of uh, film. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 a pretty good comparison. Yeah. I I think that's on point. Um, yeah, what do you think about Zack Snyder as a filmmaker? He's a very polarizing kind of director. Uh, I tend to be more favorable of him than not. I mean, I love I loved his dead movie. I loved uh, Three Hundred. Um, Watchmen, I enjoyed. Uh, like of the, I think those might be the only three Zack Snyder movies I've watched. You didn't see Batman vs Superman? No. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know look, that was I, a very polarizing movie in and of itself. I think it's the last real uh, comic book film. It had intentions of. Of doing something beyond what the current like superhero mold is, uh, as a result of Marvel being so successful, boiling down certain tropes or uh, ideas or or uh, a structure 
to a comic book related film that they view as successful or safe or, or what have you. Batman vs. Superman was probably the last movie to venture outside of that. Maybe Hellboy, uh, the one that just came out, because I know that's not getting good reviews no. either. Um, I haven't seen that. I don't plan to see it. I, I'm not really much of a um, not much of a Hellboy guy. Not much of a what is that? Image Comics. Yeah. I was something um, like that. Dark Horse. There was a period of time when I was reading. Um, I kind of fell off the past year or two, but I had this phase where I was reading like every new Image comic that came out and loving it. So, okay, w- what was it for you? Because the only guy I'm really familiar with was Spawn. Actually, Savage Dragon. I think was was he Image? Um, I don't know. Yeah, that that's way back though. Recently, um, like a big one for me was Saga. I fucking mm. loved Saga, and actually, I did that thing. I I got caught up on it the other day and realized that they've been on a year long hiatus, so I wasn't as far back as I was. Mm. Um, don't I mean, uh, The Walking Dead is image, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. I, I, I'm not too keen on the uh, the third party comics. Like, you know, I I haven't really delved into comics in a minute just because I've been so busy with everything. But uh, when I do, I tend to go for the graphic novels just because I'm, I, I suppose, in some way a completionist. Like uh, the only the only time I got roped into a series uh, was the Frank Miller. I believe it was called All-Star Batman and Robin series from like 15 years ago, and it never finished. It was hilarious. There's a meme out there of uh, Batman calling Robin retarded and (laughs) referring to himself as uh, the goddamn Batman. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so people really hated this series, but I... I, That is... whenever, Whenever people hate something, I'm like, okay... There's, there must be something else going on here. Let me give this a chance, and uh, I'll read it, and I'll form my own opinion. And it's it's uh, gold. It's hilarious. It is very, very funny. Um, Especially in comics, you always have to be mindful that... Like, comics is like a battlefield right now. So yeah. if people have a strong opinion in either direction about something, it's worth checking out on your own and forming your own opinion about it. Yeah, generally speaking, too, uh, you know, I, I'm making a generalization here, but I don't really trust the opinions of people who read comic books. I, I find them to be <laughs> off more often than not. And, you know, I used to frequent like the forums back in the day for like uh, uh, the comic book adaptations and whatnot. And they would always like have like these fan casting threads like, who do you want to see play Bane? Mm-hmm. And it would just be some nameless like wrestler or, or, or whatever yeah. who like nobody is familiar with. Just because he has the right body, he has the right shape, yeah. or it'll be a what's his name from fucking white collar Matthew Matthew something, some bland guy to play Superman just because he's got like the chiseled face. And it's just like, ugh. yeah, those threads like, always boil down to basically who looks like the characters. Always ten out of ten. On that note, let's say uh, there is a Riccio remake in production in the United States. Mm-hmm. Who do you cast as Riccio, and who do you cast? Is the assistant warden and the warden? Shit. Um, like you know what? It's like thinking about uh, the assistant warden. Uh, I mean, be, I guess because it's fresh in my mind, thinking of Jim Carrey's Robotnik. Oh my Jim, god! I think Jim Carrey would kill it as the assistant warden. That's a great casting choice. Yeah. Or um, what's his fucking name? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, I could see I, as the warden yeah, himself. Think, yeah. After I said that, I was thinking the warden himself too. I think you need somebody who's kind of animated, who's a little over the top, who can play with physical comedy. Mm-hmm. If he was still alive, Robin Williams. 
if he if he didn't hang himself and cut his wrist yeah. with a mouthful of painkillers. Jesus, what a dark way to go. Yeah. He, he, I, I feel like Robin Williams probably watched Ricky O, too. Yeah, he he was a like a closeted weeb, yeah, right? He, I mean, he named his daughter uh, Zelda. He was a big fan of the the Game Boy. You know, who could play Ricky O though? That's Ricky. that's a pretty open template. You see, I'm like I'm kind of uh, out of touch with modern martial arts movies to know who would be good for that because like the first thought that came to my head is like Tony Ja. Like when it came to like the more recent martial arts films, I always enjoyed his shit, mm-hmm. but I don't know who's more current than that. You know what? I'm just gonna say Michael Jai White, who played Black Dynamite in Spawn. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. He would be great for any of like the fights in that. Well, he was I, in that I think... Mortal Kombat uh, fan, or like that pitch for a TV series a few years, wasn't he? That was called Mortal Kombat, not Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That was, that was the follow-up show, movie. I think. Yeah, that well, they they did the original Mortal Kombat movie, which is probably still like the best video game adaptation. Like it was like the when I got cable. The first thing I did was uh, order Mortal Kombat on the, where you, when you had to call up to uh, order a movie. Pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. got Mortal Kombat the movie on pay-per-view. Yeah, I love that one. That was always on, like, USA or TNT back in the 90s. Yeah. That was great. And then they did Annihilation, and that was a, a pile of shit. That was really embarrassing. I still haven't watched uh, Annihilation. It, yeah, don't. It, it's a real big waste of time. And they had the uh, the TV show, which you brought up. That had, like, Christopher Lambert or somebody? Yeah, no, Christopher Lambert was in the actual movie. They used to play that after, uh, I think after Monday Nitro, and it had, uh, shit, there were a couple named people in that show, but I don't remember who they were. And, uh, then they got into the, it was a fan film slash TV pitch that had Michael Jai White and, uh, a couple of other people in it. That got turned into like a web series, and then they compiled the web series into like a movie that was 50 minutes long or something. And then they put that out on Blu-ray, and the name of that is escaping me at the moment. But wait, was that what became of the Michael Jaya White thing? Yeah, okay. yeah. So that that's a weird, rare instance where somebody made like a fan adaptation, and then it wound up getting the guy a job, and they actually executed the whole thing. I don't think that's ever worked otherwise. I know that they've done it kind of in reverse with the uh are you familiar with Ari Shanker? Ari Shanker no. Uh he's a producer but he has like this series on YouTube I think it is uh called like the Bootleg Universe where they'll get like really high profile actors to play certain characters. I know they did like a dark gritty Power Rangers uh Oh, I think I saw that. Thing. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so they did one of those with like Thomas Jane and the Punisher. Uh, to try and, like, I guess, campaign for him to get the role when Netflix and Marvel were considering doing a series. So stuff like that, you know, and that hasn't really had much of an effect one way or the other in terms of getting those projects off the ground or or giving studio heads ideas because everybody's playing it very safe right now. Yeah. But uh, Riccio, Riccio, what what can be said about Riccio that has not been said yet, which is, uh, you know, I think we've spent maybe 15 minutes of this podcast talking about that movie. We keep on going off into the weeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, is there anything particularly striking about Riccio that you think is maybe under-discussed? See, the thing about Riccio, it's like the thing, uh, the topics that I always wind up going to is like just like the -the over-the-top violence and how that is. Um, Actually, like... one tangent that I did go off into when um, thinking about this movie recently, there's a, all right, so in Riccio, there's these four super, like basically like the boss fights for Riccio, 
that yeah. are like the uh, the inner circle of the warden. Um, and one of them is like gender fluid. And, and by the way, that's what I was about I, to talk I, about. Yeah, yeah. I I got stuck with the uh, the dubbed version, not the subtitles, mm-hmm. which was very disappointing. It didn't help, uh, you know, enforce like the realism or, or or what have you of the film. It was very goofy, very silly. Uh, but they gave this like gender fluid character a male voice, and then I looked it up. And uh, it was a woman. So. Yeah, I only uh, I only recently realized too that that was a woman. I like for years I just thought that was like an effeminate dude. Yeah, yeah. And I thought he was like a K-pop guy. Yeah, no, no, she's like um like a legit martial artist. Actually, like outside of the context of Rikio, like really fucking hot. And uh, she uh, had her own series. Um, I think she did a movie with Jackie Chan. And then mm-hmm. she did basically the female version of Police Story. Yeah, I, I, I was going to go see Police Story recently. They were doing a double feature at like the local revival theater because uh, Criterion is putting out the first two films uh, on Blu-ray. They just restored it. I haven't seen that. Is that any good? Police, I, love, I love the original Police Story. I only watched the, the original, the very first one. That, that was like kind of, I feel the way that Jackie Chan gets a lot of street cred for doing his own crazy stunts that was the one that, like, he legitimately, like, in the climax of that movie, he legitimately broke his back. And the, oh, the wow. end credits are him getting taken out to the hospital and shit. That's amazing. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta make time to yeah. sit down and watch Police Story. That's yeah. definitely one I wanted to check out. But um, And he sang the he, theme song to it. And he sang the theme song. What can't this yeah, man he's, do? Yeah, uh, he's actually a prolific singer. I think I remember hearing that before, or or there was like a Facebook video that went viral like ten years yeah. ago, something like that. Yeah, but like the main thing I want to talk about was like that, like that gender fluid character who turned out to be like she like she's her series I believe, um she didn't she doesn't have like the same kind of like Western success that Jackie Chan has, but she's like legendary in China. One thing I noticed about this movie was that a lot of the visuals seem to kind of uh, ape uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Have you ever seen that movie? Um, yeah, of course. So specifically like the scenes where people start to like expand, like they, they start to uh, Augustus gloop into uh, uh, balls of just air and explode. Like they, there seemed to be a lot of, I want to say that the, the guy who made this movie must have been influenced by that. Like the the, the the I don't know. There's just a lot of similarities in that regard, but also the main thing I think I was impressed with was just all the gore, all the violence in this movie is so over the top. It's so fun and it's well done. There's not too many other films that are specifically like this. What something I always wanted to do, even before I um I knew that this movie existed, I. I used to, in my head, think about, like, a Streets of Rage adaptation that kind of was, like, over the top like this. What is, uh, what is Streets of Rage? It's um, a Genesis game. Like, one of the original, okay. like, side-scrolling beat-em-ups. Yeah, and I was a Super Nintendo kid, so I don't, I don't know anything Sega, really. Yeah, it's a, a very, um... I feel like that game, more, probably more so than any other game kind of uh upholds that the kind of aesthetic that people associate with retro wave and shit like that like that mm-hmm. was kind of like one of the authentic games that had that kind of vibe to it and for some reason to me i just always pictured an adaptation having that that rikio style of uh 
I maybe like thinking about it because I always imagined um, having a movie like that. Perhaps that's kind of why I gravitated towards Riccio once I discovered that it existed because it was kind of uh, a movie that reflected things that I pictured in my head and didn't know actually existed. Hmm. That that's interesting. Have you ever thought about um, getting into like the creative aspects of like writing, directing, etc.? I know that you do acting as well. Yeah, um, well, kind of, quote unquote acting, which is you know mostly extra work. So like me, like walking past the camera and shit. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I saw a post on Instagram or something where you got like free screener DVDs, which implies you would be part of the actors. Oh movie, yeah, right? yeah. They yeah they send um when time comes to vote for the SAG awards, they get screeners and letters from companies. I gotta get involved in that. I yeah. just I, I want free movies. That's really that's really all it comes down to. But I, have you thought about getting involved in the uh, the creatives there? Uh, actually, before before any of this YouTube stuff or whatnot, I used to want to be a, a screenwriter. I have hmm. a, a lot of um, unfinished screenplays. I had um, this one course that I took, where the the main project was uh, we would we would produce ten pages a week and read them in the class. And I had for that it was um, it was a film about uh, like I guess this world where like it's just normal to eat human meat, and it's about a character in the uh, the human meat factory who becomes frustrated with his job, well his life in general, and kind of uh, it, it's uh, the main thrust of the movie is you're working it's a it's a guy who works at the cannibalism factory. So like a post Soylent Green kind of world. Yeah, and it's it would be like kind of uh, going into the way Soylent Green. It's kind of like a big reveal that yeah. uh, Soylent Green is people. Sorry for the spoilers. Um, <laughs> this yeah. is like we know Soylent Green is people, and we don't give a fuck, and we're just gonna chop people up. And it had all these things like uh, you know the fattening up machines and the breeding chambers. And the, uh, the the discarding of diseased babies and shit. I, I like the idea of this on paper. Yeah, it, it sounds like uh, it sounds a little Soylent Green, a little Mad Max, with office space maybe uh, added in there. Yeah, which is a, a very good combination. Yeah, uh, I, I I I've uh, mm-hmm. obviously given my hand at like writing uh, all kinds of different things, screenplays, what have you. I, I was gonna say. Given your output on YouTube and how much research you you do, I mean that must involve a whole lot of writing. Yeah, yeah, like that. The writing is probably in the process of me making a video. The writing and the research tends to be the biggest chunk of what it goes into making a video. I, I don't know if there's necessarily a change in quality between somebody who would write like nonfiction or doing research and potentially scribing like a screenplay or a work of fiction. Although maybe I I don't know I think you could be good at it though I I I seem to like your taste generally speaking when it comes to these certain things and I I think that's a good idea but uh, was there anything else regarding the film that we have yet to mention I do think it's kind of curious that toward the end the warden does seem to just turn into a monster that resembles like the main bad guy from Tekken Oh yeah actually what I've been what I was thinking about with that. Recently, I always kind of like every time I think about this movie, I wind up looking up and not really getting a satisfactory answer. If this is like some kind of trope or something, like the enemy who, um, like he just kind of gets big out of nowhere. 
Because yeah. um, have you seen Ichi the Killer? I've seen a little bit of it. I haven't seen the whole movie. That same thing happens in Ichi the Killer. And it never yeah. it was never clear if that was meant to be an homage to Rikio or if that's just a, like a Asian cinema trope. Yeah, it, it's weird because I feel like I have seen that before, yeah. maybe in other mediums, whether it be a you know video game or or cartoon, what have you. But yeah, that 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 was just seemingly out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember reading the synopsis like later, just to refamiliarize myself with like the character names, which apparently vary depending on which version you watch. And uh, I guess it's alluded to that he has some kind of weird illness and he takes medication for it. Yeah. I missed that when I was watching the film. Actually, I was like, I was looking at the same Wikipedia just to freshen up too. And I noticed that it said that. And I don't remember that happening either. I remember him yeah. taking the medicine, but I don't remember it being indicated in any kind of way that the medicine was to keep him from getting big. Yeah, I, I don't recall that ever being brought up at any point. But do you think that actually works within the context of the film? Because obviously it is a, a step into the uh, the the outer realism, I guess. But there's nothing particularly realistic about this movie. It, I don't, I don't want to say that necessarily. It's weird. It's it's a weird case where it's like everything seems to be grounded in reality, and then the things that occur are completely fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. they're and. But then things just carry on like normal otherwise. The only characters that really seem like extremely two-dimensional are the warden's son and uh, the assistant warden, I would say. Yeah. Thinking about this and and it being a manga adaptation, I think there's this kind of a problem that happens when when something from like manga or anime or comics or anything like that gets adapted into live action... It's there's always this problem of how you're going to handle the more fantastical elements of it and have it come across as like, you know, not uh, not not a funny thing in live action. Mm. And I think uh, the way Riccio addressed it was a lot different than like, say, like how a Marvel movie might address it or things like that. And they just like they. They let the rest of the movie be grounded in reality, except for the special abilities and shit like that. Typically, I think they'll just try to embrace that aspect as a whole and make it uniform, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Which is why it's so, like, black and white. And, you know, you see Riccio, his girlfriend, dies tragically from, like, some, some what were they, mafia guys? Yeah, or, it was like, like, a, like, drug... like a drug cartel or some shit. Like a drug cartel. And it's played... Like, pretty serious. And then he goes and confronts the guy and, you know, it wanders off again into that hyper reality that this film establishes through the violence. And then it brings you back to the prison, of course, and everything's over the top and crazy. What would you say is your favorite kill or death in this movie? Favorite kill or death? I mean, the the head popping is a fucking classic. Mm. But, uh... I think the one where, like, Ricky, like, punches into the guy's guts and pulls his guts out, I think that might be number one. Are you talking about where where the guy tries to strangle Ricky? Oh, yes, intestines, yes, or? Yeah, the strangulation with the intestines, that whole uh, yeah, business. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's a touching moment where, <laughs> you know, the, the enemy and him have, like, this commonality. It's like, no, 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 don't do this, and brings him in close, only to rip out his intestines, wrap it around his throat, and try to kill him that way. It's It's so fucking great. 
uh, that's when I determined that I really liked this movie. Yeah. Was that scene. But, you know, there are certain things about it that are so ridiculous and don't make sense. Like, I'm thinking about when, like, the ceiling is starting to, uh, uh, not cave in, but lower to, like, crush Riccio and uh, one of these these four guys that were hired uh, to take him out. There comes a point where he just decides to jump through the bars and the bars break. Like, at any point, he could have done yeah. that. Well, at the end of the movie, when he, like, he punches through the wall... Yeah, and yeah. like every, all, all the prisoners go free. He could have done that at any point in the movie and like freed everybody and not, you know, let them all die and be tortured. It really just undoes so much yeah. of the movie if you know that he could just leave at any point. Like, there's no reason for him to be there. Yeah. I mean, they could probably bring out like the, the army to, to take him on and he would be probably okay. You know, yeah. and so it's like, what are you what, what are you doing here? You know, this this movie didn't even need to happen. You could have left within the first five minutes, but uh, it really is. It, it's I, I'm glad you picked this movie because I don't think I would have discovered it otherwise. And it was a very fun ninety minutes. Uh, I'm I might check out the sequel. I'm I'm curious about it, but I have a feeling it's going to go down. What I was saying before, and then I trailed off when we got into directors and how they fall off. I think it's going to be. Uh, similar to Repo Man, which Alex Cox directed back in like 84, 85 with Emilio Estevez and um, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, where it was this cool avant-garde film. The editing was really uh, different at the time. It was very like quick, fast-paced, and a lot of the uh, effects were strange and peculiar. And then Alex Cox went back to the well about 25 years later and did this movie. I think it was called Repo Chick, and it was literally just a, a model in front of a green screen for about 80 minutes. And it was unwatchable. It was terrible. I have a feeling that Riccio 2 is probably going to be similar to that sequel to Repo Man. But I hope I'm wrong. I, I have the same feeling. I, I'm still going to check it out because it's fucking... It, a sequel to Riccio is something I need to... Like, there's no avoiding it. I gotta see it, but I know it's going to be, like, uh, very self-conscious. It has to be. I mean... It, I don't know. I don't. I think the same director and the same stars on board, so at least it has that going for it. But um, I mean, it, it, I I don't know. I have the lowest of expectations for that. I will say, if it was like two thousand five, two thousand six, when do you think this movie really gained notoriety in the West? Um, I remember first hearing about it. Uh, I I want to say mid two thousands. Okay, I don't know then, if that's yeah, when it yeah. first became known, but uh, it uh, that was a time when you had Tokyo Shock putting out uh, all the old like the more violent Asian movies, mm. and you there's basically like a whole shelf on Blockbuster dedicated to them. So it was probably around that time. So yeah. it could go either way. Then if it, I, I mean, it depends on what the reaction of this movie was like in uh, China. Which mm. it, it, this movie was made in Hong Kong, right? So, it, I, I mean, do you know anything about how it was received in its home country? I have no clue. I, f I, I feel like it might have been received good because I think of other Chinese movies that are like that. Um, or at least, like, you know, go into that, like, weirder horror territory. And it's a lot of these people these people who are in them and... Uh, uh, well, I mean, what comes to mind offhand is Ebola Syndrome. Because I watched... I'll talk about that movie, and people who are Chinese, like, know the actors in it, and they're very well-regarded and shit like that. So I think, um, it might not be too different for Riccio. 
Uh, granted, we're, granted, there's several decades decades of time between Riccio and Ebola syndrome, but I haven't, I have, you know, I haven't heard of like a single movie yeah. you've brought up. Ebola today. syndrome is fantastic too. What is that about? All right, so Ebola syndrome, you've got this like really scummy uh, cook from China. He goes to uh, he goes to Africa, who and fucks a woman who's dying of Ebola. And he gets, like, he's, apparently he's immune to, he's immune to Ebola, so he becomes uh. a carrier and brings Ebola back to China, and he's, like, he's, meanwhile, killing people and putting them in the food, and he's sneezing in the food, so when Ebola just starts to spread out through China, and it culminates in this scene where people in a, a biohazard, uh, I forgot what the name of it, like, basically a biohazard protection suits, whatever the fucking name for that is, are chasing him around the streets of China, while he's running around throwing up on people and making them sick. This, uh, I, you know, I was sold that goes to Africa and fucks a woman with Ebola. But I have to, I have to see this movie. Yeah. Just to put a pin in things on the Ricky O conversation, I think this was an apt choice to go with. Again, I was originally skeptical, but uh, it is a lot of fun and uh, pure vintage. Uh, uh, I don't want to call it cheese because I don't think it is cheesy. Schlock, I guess, would yeah. be the the proper term. Um, so yeah, very good pick. And that was Ebola syndrome you just said. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I'll look into that movie. All right, uh, we're about to hit the one hour mark. So Justin, thank you so much for popping on this episode of Movies. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do you want to throw out any like social media? Not that you need the help. I mean, you're you're, you're taking off, but yeah, I guess uh, just uh, you know, follow me on YouTube. It's uh, the channel's called Wang. URLs Wang Wang Wang. And then, you Didn't you what what happened to Hot Pikachu sex? Did you get rid of that? I uh I, I still have the accounts on Twitter and Instagram, the Hot Pikachu sex accounts. I'll just sporadically post old memes to them. But uh I made my main stuff have my name in it because I like one of my pet peeves is when someone has me look them up on social media and their name isn't their name and I want to tag them in something but I can't remember what their shit is. So I gotta ask them. So I was like, "Well, if people are looking for me, they are probably looking for Justin Wang. So I guess I should make my shit Justin Wang." Check Justin Wang out on YouTube. He's got a fantastic YouTube channel that dives into all kinds of video game and uh, internet anomalies. Excuse me. Maybe we can do one of these again soon on Ebola syndrome or something else. I am. This was fun. I am a library of of obscure weird movies. Thank you.